0: And you're very welcome along. It is uh, championship weekend. We're looking ahead to the Patriots at the Kansas City Chiefs and the Rams at the New Orleans Saints. We'll get the thoughts of Keen Fahey a little bit later on, but we're going to start, as ever, with Sam Monson. Sam, good afternoon to you. How are you doing? Hey, J.R. How's it going? Good morning where you are. What's the weather like in Cincinnati? Is it uh, snow on the ground like it is everywhere else around there? Yeah,
1: it, was, uh, it snowed this past weekend and it's kind of stuck around. And then today it's been like freezing rain. So it's, uh, it's yeah, fun winter weather in the Midwest.
0: It's funny how we forget in the build up to these games that the weather is going to play a role. Because all, all, uh, all September, October, you're watching these games and then there's lots of games in domes. And then all of a sudden it's like really cold and it has an impact or it seems to have an impact on the game.
1: Right. And it's only, you know, a few of the games, obviously, because there are so many of those that are still in domes or still in California or whatever. It's it's just all those games that do take place in January in the Midwest are suddenly completely subject to the weather. So, yeah, this idea that in Kansas City last week, the snow was tipping down really up until kickoff and then it kind of eased off and we didn't get the snow game we thought we might. And then the same thing this week. We're kind of waiting to see exactly what's going to happen with this storm and whether... That's going to dump a whole ton of snow on that game, on the AFC Championship
0: game. At least for um, the Patriots, they're used to playing it. But it did feel last week like the snow somehow had an impact on behalf of Kansas City against the Colts, who were obviously a dome team. Do you put any store in that at all, that they're just not used to slipping and sliding and that, I don't know, it actually matters? No, I
1: mean, I think it does matter. I think generally, though, it doesn't really affect one team more than the other necessarily. I think what it does, it affects offense um, in particular. And the question is, how much can your offense uh, deal with the the new conditions? I think the Patriots are a very good offense of being able to adjust to whatever conditions they have. They're perfectly happy to go with a run-heavy kind of game plan or a pass-heavy game plan, depending on the situation. So they're in a good position, I think, to adjust to that kind of thing. The Chiefs, I think there's more question marks about just how good they are at being able to adjust to a game plan that doesn't feature that high-octane passing deep down the field. Um, and that's really the, the X factor in this is you know we saw last week there were some drop passes that you wouldn't normally expect from the Chiefs. And probably the same thing this week. You know, it's, the weather I think has the potential to slow down this Chiefs' offense more than the Patriots' defense does.
0: Okay, that's interesting. Let, we may as well start with that game since we kind of um, have started talking about it already. It did seem as if their run game, the, the jet sweeps and the fact that their third string running back is actually really, really good um, helped the Chiefs last week to a point where they should have some confidence at least that their running game should be decent enough to get them into this match on Sunday. Yeah,
1: I think their run game will be good. I mean, the bottom line is this offense is too good to be completely stopped by almost anything, You know, whether it's snow, whether it's the Patriots' defense. They're going to have success somewhere. The question is how much, and then will it be enough to keep pace with the Patriots, who should have their own success on the other side of the ball? So, yeah, I I think Williams has proven to be a pretty good running back, particularly just carrying the ball. The, The question mark and really the difference between him and Kareem Hunt as players is that Kareem Hunt was this real... X-factor weapon in the receiving game, particularly the first time they met against the Patriots. There were a lot of one-on-one matchups with Dante Hightower at linebacker. Um, the Kareem Hunt was able to get, get the better of, and Patrick Mahomes actually missed him with a few throws. But we don't even know if, if Williams can be the same mismatch weapon in the passing game um, and whether the Chiefs can take advantage of it because of that.
0: Yeah. What are we to, to think about what the Patriots did last week Um against the Chargers in terms of the quality of their defense. After the first drive, which was obviously a, a touchdown for the Chargers, they were just completely dominant. Uh, is that them being themselves? Is that the genius of Bill Belichick being able to look at what had happened from the Chargers' perspective over the, the last few games and think, OK, well, I can see a way to beat that? Or was that just matchup specific? Was that something that the, the Chargers just didn't have the right players to be able to deal with what New England was able to throw at them?
1: Yeah, I think the Chargers had an Achilles heel within their offense that Kansas City doesn't have. So the Chargers had a very bad offensive line. And I've kind of been saying all the way through the season that at some point that was probably going to come back to haunt them in the playoffs against some of the best teams, much like it did for the Minnesota Vikings a year ago. You know, you just can't. It's very hard to progress when your offensive line is of a certain standard, um, because when you play those best teams, in the playoffs in january it's just it, it becomes an issue and those guys can get enough pressure that your quarterback almost has no chance of getting it done and unless your quarterback is truly truly spectacular it's very hard to overcome that so you know philip rivers was under pressure around 45 plus percent of his snaps against the patriots and that's that's kind of the line you know it's not it's not a clean thing but if you're over 45 percent in terms of getting pressured in the pocket it's so hard to get anything done. Um, So the Chargers had that issue, but really what's interesting is none of the teams left in the playoffs now have got bad offensive lines. All of them have got top 15 graded lines of PFF. three of the four are in the top 10. So you're not going to get the same level of pressure on Patrick Mahomes as you were able to on Phillip Rivers. And even if you could, Patrick Mahomes has that X factor, that ability to get outside the pocket and make plays in a way Phillip Rivers just doesn't. You know, Rivers is this kind of statuesque quarterback, whereas Mahomes has double the number of touchdowns outside of the pocket of any other quarterback in the NFL this season. He's got more 20 plus yard plays outside of the pocket, like him outside of the pocket under pressure is almost the last place you want him to be which is the, like the polar opposite of any other quarterback in the NFL.
0: Yeah, it, it is all a bit mad how Mahomes has evolved into the player that he's become so quickly. There's been no sense of this like developing. It was like uh, the last game of last season, absolutely amazing. People didn't really pay any attention to it because it was last game of last season and they were out of the running. And then from the get-go, the first second of this season, he's been sensational and has dealt with every setback along the way that has come his way. So. If you are, Bill Belichick, this week, what type of game plan are you trying to come up with for your defense to stop and slow him down? Yeah, I mean, that's the great question. Mahomes, you know, coming out of college was a guy who all the stuff he's
1: he's doing now outside of the structure he was doing in college. That was on tape and that's not, I guess it's, it's a surprise maybe that it's still working at this level, but it was all there in college. The question was could he actually do the regular stuff? Could he play within the structure of an offense from within a clean pocket and, you know, play a structured offense the way you need to most of the time in the NFL? Because typically you're not, you know, you're under pressure far less than you are kept clean in the pocket. So that's when you need to be at your best. And that was a question mark, because almost everything he did in college was outside of the structure. It was this ad-libbing, scrambling, crazy stuff. But this year he's been the number one quarterback in the NFL from a clean pocket, so he's done the structured stuff to an incredibly high level, and he's still doing the crazy stuff at that level as well. So he's reached this point where a bit like Aaron Rodgers, you don't know what the game plan is. With every other quarterback, you at least know what you should be trying to do, even if you're even if they're able to get it done anyway. You know, everybody knows what the game plan should be against Tom Brady. Now that's not to say it'll work because Brady is, you know, a hall of fame, all-time great quarterback, but you at least know what the plan should be. With Mahomes, I don't even know if teams understand what the plan should be anymore, because, you know, he does drop off a little bit when he's under pressure, but he's the highest graded quarterback in the NFL under pressure. You can't just leave him alone in the pocket because he's the number one ranked quarterback from a clean pocket. And he's completely devastating when things break down. He has to add live outside of the pocket. So you need this hybrid of getting pressure on him without over committing and you know, trying to take away these devastating weapons in the passing game. It really isn't easy to do and I, I don't know that there is a clean solution to what you should be trying to do to, to throw him off his game.
0: Yeah, because the 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 weapons that he has, we should talk a little bit about that. Um, like they, they all represent individual challenges, which if that was the only thing on the team, fine. You you know, you might have a speedster who can match up with Tyreek Hill. You might have a big guy or two who can somehow maybe nullify the best tight end in football as it is now in Travis Kelsey. So You add all these things together then and all the rest of the stuff that they have and have been able to lean on across the rest of the season and suddenly it becomes a a multifaceted, many-headed challenge. The only opposite kind of wrinkle in your mind when you are thinking about this is that, like, Belichick's always risen to these challenges, has always been able to come up with something slightly different. Uh, You you mentioned the Achilles heel being the, the offensive line last week. There must be something that Belichick has looked at here and seen that afterwards we'll go, oh, yeah, there was actually, you know, if you look back, these, this trend was evolving over a couple of weeks, and he just hammered home on it.
1: I can't believe, Jer, as a 49ers fan, you're going to give the crown of best tight end in the NFL to uh, to Travis Kelsey without mentioning George Kittle. Come on. it's the one thing you've got left. Know, I'm not going to do too um, much of a homer. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I don't think they have this obvious way. that The... the The only solution is to try and do what you think is going to have the best chance against these specific weapons. So what's interesting is. You know the patriots have stefan gilmore who's pff's number one graded cornerback in the nfl this season he's got the lowest completion percentage in the nfl when playing man coverage it's just 35 percent, which is an insane number a cornerback if he's under 50 percent in terms of completion percentage he's amongst the top in the league so to be down at 35 is something pretty special he's got more pass breakups than any other corner he's i think got the second highest um, contested catch rate of any cornerback, so even when he's allowing completions, he's challenging for the ball. But the first time around, the Patriots didn't put him on Tyreek Hill, because even a guy that good, they don't trust to be able to go one-on-one with Hill on the outside. They think they're better off putting one guy on Hill, trying to disrupt him with the line, dedicating a second guy in coverage to safety to try and bracket him and slow him down that way, and then having Gilmore essentially eliminate Sammy Watkins on the other side. Um, But it you know it doesn't it, it doesn't work 100 percent because Hill still gets his hit you know get some joy Sammy Watkins may get a play or two here and there really the game plan is just figuring out what the best chance of success across the board is and hoping it's enough and it you know it, it did have I think a, a an effect that most teams haven't had you know Patrick Mahomes for as good as he's been in the pocket had his lowest grade of the season in the pocket against the Patriots so it did have an effect it just wasn't you know, it, it, he still put up 40 points and had a ton of success. So really, I think what you're looking at when you look at this offense is what's the best we can do and hope it's enough.
0: Try and slow it down to a point where... Right. But like, even then, do you want them to be on the field for such a long period of time? I don't know. It's a, it's such a difficult conundrum for anybody to face. And yet the Patriots actually beat them earlier in the season, as you just pointed out. So I'd say they feel pretty good about this.
1: Yeah, and the one the the one sort of factor the way of slowing down this offense that we haven't mentioned that may be a real issue is with your offense you know when you look at a team like the baltimore ravens the best thing they did in terms of screwing up these fast high octane offenses was just stay on the field themselves if you get your offense just chipping away grinding you know executing these 10 minute drives and keeping this offense on the sideline I think that might be the biggest way of slowing them down, particularly when you factor in the weather as well. And what's interesting is it shouldn't work this way, but just keeping those guys on the sideline seems to have this psychological effect. You know, it, it, they, they know that if they don't get it done, if they go three and out, it's going to be another 10 minutes before they see the ball again, and they just start to, to force it and not quite get things done the way they should. So I think that is a potential way that they can slow this team down. The, the, the issue may be that as much as they won the first time, the Chiefs' defense is a completely different unit at Arrowhead Stadium at home. They've allowed something like 10 points per game fewer at home than they have on the road, so the Patriots' offense itself is probably going to have less joy than they had the first time around, um, and then it's just a case of can they slow the Chiefs down enough for to keep in the same area.
0: It felt a little bit like um, last week that we were watching something historic from Belichick because... Like, when they were the best team, you expect them to win. And when, uh, you know, there were, there were those seasons where they clearly had loads of weapons, everybody was playing well, Gronkowski was fit and was completely, you know, unmarkable, really. But this was a bit different. This was uh, up against a side who were on a roll, who had come off an absolutely dominant defensive performance, and they go out and they score four touchdowns in their first four possessions. They just completely annihilated what was supposed to be the absolute strength of the Chargers. Joey Bosa and, and uh, Melvin Ingram did not get in anywhere near close to the, uh, the quarterback or even the disruption that they'd had the previous week. And I, I don't really understand how that can happen where um, a team is so strong against what is supposed to be the, the strength of the opposition. And then you, I, I, like I, I just put it straight down to the genius of Belichick.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a part of that. There's part of this idea that the Patriots would obviously have the right game plan going into the game. I think the other part of that equation is that the Chargers had absolutely the wrong game plan going into this game. And this was as much of a coaching failure on their side as it was a coaching success by Belichick. The, the Chargers kind of elected to play the same sort of defense that they deployed against the Baltimore Ravens, this unique idea of we'll play seven defensive backs we will essentially take all the linebackers off the field and we'll defend the run that way and that was hailed as this genius scheme uh, to, to foil this ravens running offense and it was clever because it matched lamar jackson in particular up with faster players that he couldn't outrun to the edge you know linebackers he can beat for speed and that was the issue so they matched him up with these faster defensive banks but that only works If your defensive linemen win up front as well, because otherwise you've got big offensive linemen getting to the second level and just wiping the floor with these smaller guys that they outweigh by 100 pounds. And that didn't happen against Baltimore because those big guys up front won. Those guys did not win against the Patriots, and they just got smeared off the park. They got absolutely annihilated in the run game. And then the other issue is that, like I said before, you at least understand the game plan to beat Tom Brady the game plan is not to run cover three all the time, because if there's one coverage that he knows how to carve up relentlessly, it's that, you know, cover three is where you have these the two cornerbacks dropping back, taking deep thirds and a f- single free safety in the middle. And they take away everything deep. Um, and you're left with everybody else in these underneath zones. The problem is the way to beat that defense is essentially patience in the passing game. And you can slowly pick them apart. They're going to take away that deep ball, but they're going to open up all the underneath stuff. And as long as you're patient enough to keep taking those passes every time they arise, you will beat this defense, and it's not particularly challenging. And there's no more patient quarterback in NFL history than Tom Brady, and you you see that just in the number of catches that James White had. That's what they were prepared to do with the ball all the time, and yet the Chargers ran out with the game plan that they know does not work against Brady, and it didn't work against Brady. So, (laughs) I mean, that's just it's a pretty inexcusable situation screw up in terms of game plan.
0: Yeah, okay. okay. That, that uh, takes the edge off a little bit because it did feel like it was, um, it was as good a coaching achievement as I've seen from Belichick over this whole point where the team looks broken, like Gronkowski's a shadow of himself. The previous week Edelman had been the previous four or five weeks Edelman had been dropping catches and just not looking good. Um, they obviously lost Gordon who was supposed to be this thing that was going to open up the rest of the offense? Uh, Sony Michelle looked a bit like a bust in the middle of the season, and then lo and behold, everything gets fixed in the space of a couple of weeks off. You're like, wow, this is absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah, I mean, you're going to struggle to find a defense that's going to roll in with a worst game plan to stop the Patriots when the Chargers did last week. If you know the Chiefs, if nothing else, should have a significantly better plan. Um, They don't run cover three an awful lot at all. They run a lot of man coverage, which is the way to beat the Patriots. It's not going to stop them, but it's the best way of slowing down that offense. The Chiefs run the third most man coverage of any team in the NFL, and they have bigger, stronger bodies up front. They're not going to play with these seven defensive backs. They're going to put some linebackers on the field, so the Patriots are going to have a tougher time in the run game as well, even though they have this excellent run-blocking offensive line. I think we should at least see a better game plan against them this week.
0: You're making the Chiefs favorite it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I think they are. Um, I think that defense, as I said, is a completely different unit at home. Their offense is a better offense. Um, I, I think it's, the the big X factor is what the weather is going to do. If that weather really torpedoes the offensive production from either side, then you kind of have to start swinging back towards the defense and, you know, the Patriots do have the best defense left, left in the playoffs. Um, but, if, if the weather holds out and an offense is still a sort of viable prospect on the day, then I think you have to lean with the Chiefs.
0: The Saints are slightly bigger favorites than the Chiefs are um, uh, against the Rams. And I don't know, this is, this is interesting to me because, you know, we're supposed to be in uh, witnessing in Sean McVay, one of the all-time great coaches, and here he is going back somewhere in the same season with all of the information and knowledge that seeing with the whites of his eyes brings... In a game where his team are very pissed off about the fact that what happened the last time happened, it just feels a little bit like you're giving this guy two chances to beat you, he's going to beat you 50% of the time.
1: Right. And the other thing at play is, I think last week was big for this Sean McVay offense for the Rams generally in terms of proving that they do have a a plan B. You know, this offense had been slowed down later in the season against teams like the Bears, the Eagles. Okay, those are very good defenses, but it's more how they did it that was concerning. They identified what the Rams want to do, and they took that away and essentially dared them to run the ball. They dropped everybody into coverage, they flooded the the zone coverage, and said, if you want to run the ball, we're going to give you a light box up front. We're going to give you the numbers advantage. If you want to beat us that way, that's okay. And the Rams didn't do it. They kept trying to do what they wanted to do, and Goff just kept making mistakes, couldn't fit the ball into those tighter windows, And, you know, everybody was looking at this and saying they're losing because teams have taken away Todd Gurley. You know, his numbers were terrible, but actually the opposite was happening. Teams weren't taking away Todd Gurley. In fact, if anything, they were daring the Rams to beat them with Todd Gurley, but the Rams didn't want to use them. They they wanted to stick with what they did. But last week, the Cowboys rolled in and they, they used that game plan as well. They dropped everybody into coverage. They said, okay. We're going to give you the run game if you want to do that. That's fine. And for the first time, the Rams said, "Okay, sweet. Well, we'll do that. We'll load up two running backs with 20 plus carries, and we will each one of them is going to get 100 yards, and that's how we're going to win." So I think that was a huge game to prove that at least that offense and Sean mcveigh had identified what was going on, and they figured out the teams had had understood what their primary plan was and taken it away. And now they've shown they can adjust for that. So I think that is a big thing going into this game, that they've proven that they have that adjustment in the game plan if the Saints have figured out how to slow them down as well. And I'm kind of with you. I think this Rams team is really good. They're, They're the number one graded team as a whole at PFF still. You know, we have the Saints as favorites as well because so much of how these things work is the home field advantage and it is a very real thing. But this Rams team is good and they are not to be dismissed.
0: Yeah, are they also getting better at the right time of the year? Like, I heard so many people talking about how Dominic and Sue hadn't actually been that good this year, and then all of a sudden comes the playoffs and it seemed pretty good last week. You're like, okay, maybe there's just a lot of players there, especially those guys on the one year contract, or the ones who are the um, high profile tradees who are either coming back for injury or coming into form um, in the defensive backfield. It's the same as well with um, Taleb and Peters. Like, I don't know, there's just a sense that maybe they have just come right at the right time right that was the best
1: one of the best games of Andaman and sue's season i'm kind of curious to know if he was just sandbagging the entire year and then is going to show up for the playoffs because you know what did it matter for the yeah. first 16 games um that would be fascinating because sue is definitely you know a top 10 kind of talent on the interior defensive line and he hasn't really played like that this season um, in a situation where it's probably better than he's ever had before, given that Aaron Donald has taken away all the attention alongside him. So if Sue has actually decided to turn it off for the playoffs, that's a real uh, boost for this defense. And you mentioned to keep to leave. I think that's the other one is he is a legitimate number one corner in a way that Marcus Peters probably isn't and has certainly been exposed as not being so far this season. To leave back in the lineup makes a, a massive difference to that defense overall. Uh, it could be big in terms of trying to t- uh, slow down a guy like Michael Thomas, uh, the Saints' wide receiver. So yeah, I think I think the defense could be better than the first time they played. I think the offense has shown that they have this second uh, plan. If if the Saints have figured out how to slow them down, I do think this this game should be closer than it was the first time.
0: Yeah, um, let's talk a little bit about Michael Thomas because his connection with. Drew Brees is um, like at an all-time high percentage in terms of uh, target share. And then, obviously, when he gets the, the ball, he's doing pretty amazing things with it. There's a shout that he is, at the moment, the best receiver in football. He's certainly in the same conversation as Antonio Brown and New Hopkins and whoever else you want to put in that top tier, So, um, which is mad because he's really young. He was a second-round pick, and I don't think in that draft coming into it that everybody was like, ooh, this is the guy that everybody should be getting. Um It's funny how this happens.
1: Yeah. I mean, the Vikings drafted Laquan Treadwell rather than Michael Thomas. Um, And, you know, Laquan Treadwell has basically been useless and Michael Thomas has developed into the best receiver in that draft class. Um, He he is incredibly talented. He's not just getting the, uh, the highest target share of any receiver that Drew Brees has ever thrown to, but he's catching a higher percentage of those targets than any receiver Drew Brees has ever thrown to as well. So, you know, we saw last week he's incredibly hard to take away and he does that thing that more and more great wide receivers are doing now, which is playing a decent percentage of their snaps in the slot where it's harder to take them away. You know, you can um, you can line up with Stephon Gilmore on a guy outside if you know he's only going to be outside and you can track him left or right. But even teams that use their number one corner to sort of follow receivers around don't like moving that guy into the slot because it's a completely different thing. We treat slot cornerbacks and, and perimeter cornerbacks as the same thing, but they're really not. It's a different world in there because you don't, a lot of the times the slot receivers are off the line of scrimmage by a yard, so you can't get up there and get physical with them on the line of scrimmage. You have to be a yard away from them. You kind of have to wait and see where they go, and you don't have the sideline as your friend. You can't kind of cheat one side, push to the sideline, and and know that you're working in a certain direction. When you're covering the slot you've got to be off a yard and this guy has a two-way go he can go left he can go right and you have to be able to react either way it's a much tougher thing at times to be able to do so most teams do not use their best corner to to follow guys to the slot so when teams move an elite wide receiver in there they just get an incredible boost in production and it's more valuable because of that. So a guy like Michael Thomas or, you know, Keenan Allen with the Chargers, AJ Green with the, the Bengals, these guys all play snaps now in the slot. And I don't know if anybody is better at it than Michael Thomas. What do
0: you think is gonna happen in this game?
1: I think this one is gonna be a legitimate shootout. I think there's no weather at play this time. We're in the dome. Um, we're gonna see both these offenses, I think, have success. And I think it's it's gonna be uh, almost like a rerun of that uh, Chiefs-Rams game. We're going to see a ton of points from both sides. Um, and honestly, it wouldn't shock me if the Rams pulled an upset in this one.
0: Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's going to be that much of an upset because they've been so amazing all year. And then there was that little blip in form. But to get back to the point where they're playing as well as they are now, it's like, well, geez, you know, I mean, they probably deserve to be in the Super Bowl. And if the uh, Saints beat them, then they deserve to make it too.
1: Right. And I think, I think because of the way they've at least answered the blip in form. You know, I think so much of that was a schematic problem that teams that identified how to slow down this offense and now Sean McVeigh has identified how to stop them doing that. I think that's huge. You know, it's one thing to have your your initial uh, plan slowed down and not have an answer. It's another thing entirely to go, okay, you can take that away if you want. I have another, I have another alternative. And I think now they've shown that they have that. That makes this game way more interesting.
0: Yeah, the CJ Anderson last bit I wanted to ask you about. It's a mad story that you can be out of the league effectively and now have put together the run that he's put together. Um, it does make you wonder about all the money that's being invested and all the high picks that are being invested in running backs. Like CJ Anderson is a, a Super Bowl winning superback, uh, quarter, uh, running back with uh, the Broncos a couple of years ago, and he was really good. He wanted money. The Broncos said, no, we don't really rate you. He bounced to two separate teams already in the league this season and is available for nothing, basically, Um, how does this happen? How is it that you can walk in off the street and find the holes that he's finding?
1: Yeah, I I kind of feel sorry for running backs because it's probably the most attritional position in the NFL. Those guys essentially get hit every single play hard and it takes its toll quicker than anything else. So those guys want to get paid. You know, Le'Veon Bell wants a big contract but ultimately we are being proved time and time again that they're just not worth it. It's not worth paying a running back because you can get the same production from pretty much anywhere. And it's not because those guys aren't talented, it's because they are actually a smaller part of the reason for the running back success than you would assume. You know, you think if a running back is getting all those yardage, it's the, all those yards, it's the running back that's making it happen. But actually, the blocking, the offensive line is far more important in determining how successful the runner is going to be than the runner is. And, you know, it, that one is, is easy enough to understand. But when you actually dive into the numbers, things like the passing game are more important in determining how successful the running game is going to be than the running back is. And, you know, there's, there's a bunch of different things at play. The running back is actually quite far down the list in terms of who is important to generating rushing success. And so you get a guy like C.J. Anderson, who is a good running back. You know, when he burst onto the scene, he was grading exceptionally well. But the Broncos, I think, correctly identified that we don't want to pay this guy big money because we can replace the production. Um, And then, you know, he's bounced around. You bring him in, and you see then the other side of this. The Rams have the number one run-blocking line in the NFL. So this idea that Todd Gurley was ever an MVP candidate was always insane because he was running through these giant holes that this offensive line was opening up. And as if we needed proof of that, you bring in CJ Anderson off the street carrying this giant gut. I don't know what he's been eating while well, he's been chilling on the street, but it, it's not exactly healthy salads or anything. This guy is carrying some pretty significant weight around his waist these days. And Anderson is able to average 140 yards and 6.4 yards per carry. So, you know, it's, it's just it's the sad proof of the reality of the situation. As talented as running backs are, they're just not worth money in today's NFL because they're not the reason they're having success. You can get that success with pretty much anybody.
0: Sam, great to chat to you. Enjoy the weekend. Thanks a million. You too. Take it easy. That's uh, Sam Monson from PFF joining us uh, live on the line from Cincinnati. Uh, we're going to go to Kian Fahey in a minute. and run you through the um, results and fixtures now. Obviously, it's uh, a big weekend. It's championship weekend. The first game kicks off at uh, five minutes past nine here for us. Five minutes past eight. Would that make sense on uh, Sunday? Uh, we are five ahead of Eastern Time, so five past eight um, is the LA Rams at the Saints after obviously the Saints beating the Eagles twenty fourteen, and the Rams coming through against the Cowboys thirty twenty two. Of all the wins last weekend, it seems like the Rams beating the Cowboys was maybe the most impressive given that the Eagles were out to a 14-zip win. Maybe the Saints win is just as impressive when you think about it like that. The uh, Patriots put up 41 points against the Chargers. The Chiefs put up 31 points against the Colts. Both those games were effectively blowouts. Um, there was a minor bit of um, suggestion that perhaps uh, there might have been a mild bit of peril at one point, but not really for either these two teams um, in the end. And that one kicks off 6.40pm uh, Eastern, so 6 and 5 is 11, 20 to midnight is the uh, kickoff for the Patriots at the Kansas City Chiefs. You can see there Faye is with us. Cian, how you doing? Right. How are you? Yeah, how's the jet lag? Uh, you were in LA last weekend to um, see your beloved Chargers and
2: Rams. Uh, I got home at 7 p.m. on Monday. I woke up yeah, on Tuesday, yesterday at 7 p.m. Uh, at night. So <laughs> I look worse. I feel I feel even worse than that. Wow. Okay. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I'm sure you could you couldn't walk anywhere in LA without noticing that uh, these their two teams are doing exceedingly well, right?
2: Yeah, well, I wound up in a pretty nice hotel downtown, and I went down into the lobby one day, and I was surrounded by Dallas Cowboys cheer- cheerleaders, so you could pretty much tell that everyone was there. It was um, interesting, though, that there was loads and loads and loads of Cowboys fans there. It was very much, like, I, I don't know if we came across on TV, but it wasn't exactly a home game for the Rams on, on the day, I don't think.
0: Yeah, I think they had slightly over the Rams had slightly over fifty percent, which was a bit of a relief to them because they did feel at one point or feared that it was going to be sixty forty in favor of the Cowboys. Um, like, does LA know it has two football teams apart from the fact that the cheerleaders happen to be in your hotel?
2: Well, I mean, the Rams are probably the preferred team, like especially after that game with the Patriots and the Chargers on Sunday, they they, they charged her. like everyone was kind of waiting for them to do and. I just it, it's such a it's such a disappointing game if you were a Chargers fan or if you were trying to build that franchise as a team because you go through this regular season, you beat the Chiefs on the road, you have this phenomenal year, you're a, you're basically a two-seed but because the Chiefs are in your division you can't beat a two-seed and you feel like you're one of the best teams in the league and then the Chargers, they just didn't show up and the Patriots had their best game of the season by far and I think that's going to kill any excitement, any kind of belief you were taking into the off-season especially now you're moving forward with an older Philip Rivers. The Rams on the other hand, they're still ascending, even though there are definitely question marks there too.
0: Oh, give me the question mark then, because we, we've been talking ourselves in the last uh, 15 or 20 minutes into the the Rams and their ability to bounce back from the blips that they had. And so all of a sudden, feeling a bit confident about the Rams. You, What are those questions that you need to see answered?
2: Well, same question I've had pretty much all year. I didn't think Jared Goff played well again. He had a couple of dropped interceptions. He missed a couple of throws he should have easily made. Like, they won that game because of the running game. And it's very clear, like... I find it fascinating to talk about Todd Gurley all the time about how oh he's kind of replaceable, he's not actually that important and it becomes an easier argument to make when C.J. Anderson comes off the street but here's the thing C.J. Anderson should never have been on the street. C.J. Anderson's one of the better running backs in football, but when he was in Denver, he, he could never stay healthy, so he lost his job there and basically got moved out. He moved to the Panthers. He became a backup there to Christian McCaffrey, and he wasn't being used enough, so the Panthers said to him, agreed with him, hey, we promise you a bigger role. We're going to let you go because we don't have a bigger role for you. He's a really good running back, and you saw that on, on Saturday night against the Cowboys. You saw him and Gurley together, kind of a perfect complement. It looks a little bit heavier than he was before, but it, that obviously worked out perfectly against the Cowboys running right up the middle. One of the things that was fascinating to me was, in the Ram entering that game, one of our question marks became the Rams' offensive line, which is a weird thing because over a month prior to that game, they had kind of struggled, but prior to that, they were the foundation of the team's success. And in that game, they just dominated the defensive line, which was crazy because you've got Randy Gregory, you've got DeMarcus Lawrence, you've got good defensive tackles there. And then it came out after the game that coaching had a big impact. The uh, Rams' offensive players were saying that they knew exactly what the defensive linemen were going to do based on specific ways that they lined up. So when they could, and uh, you kind notice of noticed it during the game, Randy Gregory would come off the ball, go upfield very quickly, and get thrown out of the play, and they'd run right behind, run into that spot right there where he was, where he vacated. And that's something you can do when you know what the defensive end is going to do all the time. So the interesting thing to me there is. You got a specific tell on the Cowboys' defense, so you are able to attack the defense and create all that space. When you move forward and you go into, the, into New Orleans and you've got to play at Saints' defense, that, like, the Saints' defense is kind of inconsistent, but it's talented. If Sheldon Rankins is healthy, if Cameron Jordan is healthy, they're going to be able to disrupt you and get into the backfield and disrupt run plays, rush the passer, create more pressure than the Cowboys did, assuming they don't have tells like the Cowboys had. But that was kind of a very interesting thing to me because I just did not expect the Cowboys' defensive line to be such, to have such a limited impact and to be taken advantage of so much. And then you found out after why they had, the, they were out-coached. Jason Garrett, the whole coaching staff. You expected them to be out-coached, but you didn't. Maybe didn't expect it to be that clear and that kind of defining for the game.
0: Yeah. Okay. So. That advantage disappears, and yet they still have the advantage of having the genius coaches who've done all the work to diagnose this in the first place. So while the specific advantage against Dallas might be lessened, there's, is there still, I mean, obviously they had that coaching staff, but they still have the benefit of having that genius within them. Is that enough to
2: see them through against the Saints? I mean, it, it, having that genius is huge, but Sean Payton's a really, really good coach too. Like the, the gap now becomes much smaller. Sean Payton knows what he's doing. That, that coaching staff as a whole knows what it's doing. You're not going to have uh, a, 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 complete, a clear mismatch that gets re- repeatedly beaten over and over and over again the way it was against the Cowboys.
0: Is Taysom Hill and all that gimmickry, is that not just a little bit of madness, a strain that he's like uh, being a bit too cute?
2: Yeah, that's that's the one that's like but that's the thing, that's the only thing I dislike with Sean Payton right now. Like if he could get rid of that, and actually funny enough, he'll hit an actual troll last week for the first time all year. It's working and then got brought back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but so you can argue it's working, but I don't really think it's working. I think I think Taysom Hill is great for like the special teams fake punts that they had last week, even though it was the most obvious fake punt. I don't know how the Eagles didn't see it coming. And and using him on like the wildcat stuff that works. I just necessarily wouldn't do it. They kind of needed to do a little bit uh, things a little bit differently last week because Drew Brees had a really bad game initially. He came out, he missed that first throw of the game that should have been a touchdown. Came back as an interception. He missed two more deep throws throughout the first three quarters that should have been big plays. He was very consistent on the short and underneath throws. You see that throw to Michael Thomas for the touchdown perfectly placed on the back shoulder perfectly away from the defender for thomas to work back through it so he was still had a had a baseline of quality but the mistakes were there from breeze and the kind of inconsistency of the offense as a whole was there there were a couple of holding penalties there were a couple of problems in protection which isn't something you want to have against a team that has aaron donald i think the one kind of counter to that would be the rams have aaron donald they don't really have anyone else the eagles have michael bennett have chris long They have. Derek Barnett, they have uh, a uh, former Raven who's, whose name is escaping me, Timmy Jernigan. They have a bunch of guys who can attack you and close that pocket. The Rams don't have that. They have Aaron Donald who will break everything up. So you will think Sean Payton will be able to game plan for Donald specifically and set the offense up as a whole. But Breeze flatly has to play better than he did last week. Otherwise, they won't be able to beat the Rams.
0: Yeah, okay. All
2: right. Um, Which, by the way, by the way, you should hear from everything I just said. This kind of sets itself up as a good game.
0: Yeah, okay. So that, this, this should be like a proper... Shoot out with points at at both. Sometimes I I end up hoping for that, and the game ends up like, uh, you know, very low scoring because of what's at stake in this. Like, it's effectively a semi final, right? Uh, So many sports events, the semi finals are shit games. Everybody, years and years in in time, nobody, how did that go? How did they get in there? What happened there? Because so much is on the line, and what's on the line is a place in the Super Bowl.
2: So I'm going to use a massive cliche of all cliches right now and say the Rams do have to start well because the reason the Eagles stayed in that game and the reason they were able to prolong that game a little bit was they started well. If you don't start well against the Saints in, in New Orleans, we've seen it time and time and time again. The Saints go up a touchdown on their opening drive or in their second drive, then they add another one before the end of the first quarter and it just starts piling on and piling on. And suddenly the score is 40-14 and it's completely out of reach. And I don't really buy into the idea that certain parts of the game are more important than others. But in this specific case, when you've got that stadium, when you've got that team that just is ruthless at taking you out and pounding on you and pounding on you when you're down on the ground, you can't have a bad start. And a big part of that is going to be on Goff because he has that tendency to just miss these throws he should make sometimes. And if that happens early on, it it can't happen throughout the game really at all. But especially if that happens early on, it'll be a big problem. Like the, the Eagles, I felt like the Eagles were in control of that game and kind of coasting a little bit until Nick Foles missed that deep shot and under it, and Marshawn Latimer intercepted him. And that kind of flipped the game, really, because like Foles had made that phenomenal throw to start where he got the first touchdown. He made a couple of good throws after that. The offense was humming a little bit. Breeze was struggling, and had, the tension was kind of building. But as soon as Foles threw out an interception, it was like, oh yeah, we're, we're getting the Eagles back. We're getting that Foles uh, player back. And I know they were still in it at the end, but, it, but a for, for large stretches of that game, Folds wasn't very good. But the only reason they were still in it at the end was that they had, they had quelled the initial surge from the Saints.
0: And a stupid enough decision to take the field goal at the point that they did?
2: Yeah, look, we always do that retroactively, but I, I think so, yes. They kind of The thing that bothers me these days is more, like, so we get to the end-of-game situations. And one team's trying to kill the clock, and they run on first down. They throw a screen on second down, and then they're either going to just run on third down, or they're so far back that they have to kind of—it's very unlikely that they're going to convert for a first down. Everyone's doing that now, and so it becomes so predictable that we're just kind of taking away one minute forty, two minutes on the clock, and saying, "Hey, go and try and beat us," which seems like a crazy, crazy thing to do when you spend the rest of the game trying to actually get first downs. Yeah, it's—it's that conservative, scared nature that we don't want to make the big mistake, and it's not something that we should really be to seeing at this
0: stage of the NFL where we've got all these offensive coaches in the league. Um, a lot of the uh, post-match analysis and reaction that I've been listening to since the weekend has been banging on, fetishizing the um, the use of play action by the teams who are surviving up to this point. And they're making the point that um, the Patriots have had the most success on play action over the last decade or so. Why is everybody not using play action all the time? It's the thing that's working in the league. Why does everybody just not do it? It works, yeah. Well. It,
2: it, it's kind of not something I would disagree with, but it's also the idea that you have to use play action properly. Like, you can't just use it all, all the time. And so, like, here's the argument you have a quarterback like uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, even the very, very best quarterbacks. You don't necessarily want to overuse play action with them because when you use play action, you're relying more heavily on the specific design of the play. You're relying on taking the quarterback's eyes away from his receivers, you're giving him fewer options to throw the ball to a specific spot that has been distorted by the play fake where you've created space. So if you have a more limited quarterback, if you have Nick Foles, it's perfect use play action, he knows where to go with the ball. If that's not there, he throws it away or he takes a sack or whatever. But if you have a guy like Tom Brady, and I know they're great at play action, but they're great at everything, so it's kind of a pointless thing to, to argue. But if you have a guy like Tom Brady and you give him all five options going out and you don't have a play action, you have his eyes up all the time, he can look at his first option and go, yeah, that's not good. He can look at his second option, that's not good. He can look at his third option, that's not good. Oh, here are my fourth and fifth options, I'll go to them. So if you're using play action, you're taking that aspect away. And there's also this design of plays. So there are teams in the league who run play action. Like Mike Malarkey's offense, I'm going back to it from two years ago now, just I don't have a great example from this year. Two years ago, he would run these play fake designs that were easily, easily responded to, easily read. You could react to them perfectly, and he used, had, had very few. Jeff Fisher was the same for years. But you go to someone like Sean McVay. He's going to run play action with his receiver running a sweep, running behind the line of scrimmage, with his receiver running behind the quarterback, with his receiver running behind the running back, with his tight end coming across and taking a defensive end out. He uses wide receivers from the slot to take out his defensive end. So as a defensive lineman and a linebacker, you never know what direction you're going in against Sean McVay. Whereas if you have a guy like Mike Malarkey, you always know he does one, two, three, or four things at most. So he's got a, bit, a way to anticipate what's coming. He's got a way to be more proactive rather than reactive. And it's just a very, very different thing if we just kind of say, "Hey, everyone should use more play action, mm, no, some teams are good at designing play action, some teams aren't there's always that kind of a difference, but in general, yes, more play action is better. I think last year, the most I had was about uh twenty eight percent thirty percent something like that, which isn't a large number, but you also have to factor in a, a lot of these trolls come when a team is chasing the game at the end, and you can't use play action when you're losing and you've got to have. 15, uh, 15 snap drive of you catching the ball, throwing it, catching the ball, throwing it, and taking what the defense gives you. So that kind of warps the numbers a little bit.
0: Okay, apparently the Rams were like 10%, ten percent, 15 percent more than they normally were uh, last yeah. week against Dallas. And uh, like again, that probably comes back to well, the coaching issue.
2: Here's the thing with the Rams: the Rams will do that. Like they did this sort of Vikings early in the year. They will if they see a weakness in your defense and they see something you're not good at. They will turn to their play action and do it over and over and over and over and over again until you show that you know how to respond to it. And when McVeigh sees it's working, he sticks with it. That's not something other coaches do. Other coaches have very specific ideas of what they want to do on offense and they're gonna do that regardless. Cowboys, perfect example of that on the other side of the ball.
0: What do you want to see? What what Super Bowl do you would you most prefer to look forward to?
2: Um I think the Chiefs and the Saints are like I'm all, I'm always just want the two best teams. So to me I think the Chiefs and the Saints are the two best teams. I think they've been the two best teams over the season as a whole and I feel like watching Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees after their MVP arguments, there's a narrative there. Watching Patrick Mahomes and Drew Brees just playing on the field, to me, is massively appealing. Uh, I think a part of me just doesn't want to see the Patriots because we've seen them so many times. But I also don't feel like they've played that well over the course of the year. I think the recency bias of last week is, hey, they're the Patriots, they're going to dominate again, they're back. I would be very surprised if they went into Kansas City and won.
0: Okay, so... and that's not just what you want to see that's what you think will happen that it will be Breeze yeah. against Mahomes
2: I, I, like, I think the Saints home field is huge for the Saints I think they had a bad game last week I think that's probably the first bad like they've scored they scored 21 points in the game earlier this year as well so they scored 20 points this week so outside of that all of their home games they've scored like 35, 40 it, it's yeah. been just pouring it on teams I don't think the Rams have the defense to run with them they have a decent defense it's good defense I don't think it's as good as the Eagles defense And I don't think Breeze will play as poorly but the other side of it is like the Patriots going into Kansas City is fascinating in itself because you get Belichick doing that game plan against uh, against Mahomes. You saw him force, he disguised two interceptions against Mahomes in the regular season. He might be able to do that again, but I just don't feel like the Patriots defense as a whole is going to be able to keep pace with Kelsey, with Watkins, with Hale, with... Uh, I've completely forgotten the running back because Kareem Hunt is gone <laughs> so with all the weapons Williams. that they've got yeah, yeah there you go with all, with all the weapons they've got I don't think the Patriots are going to be able to keep pace but again look it's the Patriots they're always there for a reason they're always there because they are that good but we'll find out Keen,
0: good stuff enjoy the weekend thanks a million man thanks man Keen Faye giving us uh, some thoughts ahead of the weekend uh, so Sue's picks for those of you who are following along 24 out of 33 on the year which is a pretty amazing record uh, she's gone for the Saints minus 3.5 and, and the Patriots she's taken the points the Pats plus three. So the Saints minus three and a half against the Rams and the Pats plus three. Um, I don't know. The Saints-Patriots Super Bowl will be good. Any of the teams who are left making it is going to be a good game in the Super Bowl because there's four good teams left. This is kind of what you want. It's great having some underdogs along for a little bit of the ride, but uh, go home, underdogs. Your time is over. We'll see you next week. Good luck.